0: Yeah, I've always said that, you know, whoever runs for president 20 years from now, we're going to be looking at their social media feeds going, "Okay, what was really that about?
1: (laughs) (laughs) We, We may at some point have to declare social media amnesty for everybody or something.
0: That's Jim Fournier. He's a social media pioneer. He wants to totally change the course of the Internet. And in this Kim Commando Explains podcast, we're going to be talking all about social media, but let's start off with a little game show. Love that. Okay, it's a pop quiz. Ready? Answer this question. What percentage of adults in America use social media? Okay, think about it. From Facebook and Twitter to Snapchat, Instagram, we're totally spoiled for choice. There are more ways to showcase your life and get it out there than ever before. I mean... In the old days, you showed off buying a fancy car or having the green salon in your neighborhood just by asking your neighbors over. There was even a phrase for it, keeping up with the Joneses. And we all want to fit in. But here's the kicker. The feelings are still there. We still compare ourselves to others. We look around to see how our friends and family and neighbors are doing. And maybe even if, if it's just in the back of our mind, we try to measure up. Well, in the old days, if you wanted to shut down those feelings of jealousy, you could just close your curtain, right? You could block that fancy car out of your view. We don't have that luxury anymore. Even in your home, you have intense pressure from your peers, family members, and friends showing you how great they are and what they're doing. And meanwhile, you're still sitting at home living the pandemic dream. But social media can be good. It's a great way to connect with folks, but they also do a number on your mental well-being. Okay, so now the answer to that pop quiz. What is the percentage of American adults on social media? You ready? The Pew Research says that about 70% of American adults use social media. That was in 2020, and I'm sure the numbers have gone up since then. There's a 90-minute Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma. If you haven't seen it, you really should. It's all about how social media manipulates every single one of us. Listen to this to just give you an idea.
1: What I want people to know is that everything they're doing online is being watched, is being tracked. Every single action you take is carefully monitored and recorded. A lot of people think Google's just a search box and Facebook's just a place to see what my friends are doing. What they don't realize is there's entire teams of engineers whose job is to use your psychology against you.
0: There's no doubt that social media has a huge impact on all of us, on what's happening in the world. I mean, just think back to the Capitol riots in January. Facebook and Parler were raked over the coals for their roles in these riots. Because not only can people meet up and organize on these platforms, but they find other people like them and they build groups around them. And then there's the whole issue about fake news. You know, fake news online spreads six times faster than real news. And it's still just amazing to me that there are 65 percent of American adults who think that Facebook has its own news department. What? Yeah, they believe that. But is it possible to recreate social media? Is it possible to go in there and say, you know what, this is what we've done wrong. We've opened Pandora's box and we can't close it. But we have a better idea, a place where people can go in safety. They don't have to worry about trolls. Or advertisers? Or advertisers and marketing companies collecting every single thing about them? Could there be a new social media network that could really compete against Facebook? Is it possible? Well, when I heard about this new social media platform that wants to do it just exact that, I wanted to know more. And I knew that you would too. So stay right where you are. This is going to be an incredible podcast. Hey, Jim, thank you so much for joining us. I read recently that people here in the United States, they check their phones like 80 times a day on average and sometimes more than 300 times a day. And it's just crazy. And the success of an app is often measured by how it creates a habit. What do you think about social media companies in their role of making us pick up our phones time after time and look at Facebook, Instagram, Snap, TikTok, you name it?
1: Uh, well, I, I think it in some ways resembles more an addictive drug than a service. Um, and I come from a background of people trying to do differently.
0: What do you think makes it addictive by nature? Is it the design? Is it the need that we need to have likes? We want to see what's going on. What is it exactly?
1: It's the design principles. I mean, this has been carefully constructed this way because the business model has become one of Um, attention essentially trying to get you to keep scrolling to see more ads
0: to keep going on and on and on because obviously the more time we spend on the platform the more advertising revenue that flows into the pockets of the tech companies so really attention translates into i guess currency right
1: yeah for them and there's an interesting definition of advertising as attention theft um, where the, the claim is they're providing a service in exchange for seeing these ads, but it's devolved to the point where you know the, the service is manipulating you to see more ads.
0: When we put our data out there on social media, whether it's 10 different pictures of um, whatever dinner that we made last night, a hamburger or steak or even something vegan, and then we go in and we talk about Um, maybe that we're looking for research for somebody in our family member who has cancer, or maybe we have some type of disease. Where does all that data go?
1: Well, that that data is cross-correlated to construct a profile of you, which is then used to direct advertising and content towards you. The premise is that the content is a service and the advertising is what pays for it. But combined, it creates what's called a filter bubble, where what you see is reflecting back to you based on what indications you gave before.
0: So then we're only seeing things that we may agree with, things that we may like.
1: Well, things that will stimulate you. Um, You're as likely to see something that will make you angry and piss you off as something that you will like. It's just that something that will get an emotional response and keep you engaged.
0: And that emotional response then correlates into us sitting there, looking at the screen, and then scrolling down, scrolling, 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 scrolling down, looking for something else?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, we're looking for a dopamine hit. It's like a rat in the maze pushing the button again and again. Um, I mean, it's not always that bad, but that's the extreme view of it.
0: So when you saw The Social Dilemma on Netflix, you know, it's terrifying. Sometimes it's hard to watch. I mean, 90 minutes, it's definitely something that I think anybody on the Internet needs to take a look at. What were your initial thoughts?
1: Um, wow, it's finally hit the mainstream. You know, it's been this coming for a decade.
0: <laughs> yes. You know, I, I kind of sat there myself and said, OK, we all knew this. But I guess we didn't all know this. We thought that we were just getting on Facebook and sharing pictures with our loved ones and going back and forth, and not really realizing that every single data point was being sold to who knows who for not just targeted advertising. I really believe that that the data is going more than just advertising. I think it's being sold into areas that people don't really want to acknowledge. Meaning, uh, you know, Facebook getting into the healthcare business. What is that about, right? Um, that if we put something online, that for example, my mother was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. And I often wondered as I went through the internet searching for answers and searching for different diets and whatever else that I may do to uh, ease the pain that she's going through and and knock on wood, she's actually one of those miracles that is a stage four pancreatic cancer survivor. You don't you normally hear that in one sentence. Um, no, <laughs> but but I often wondered if somewhere in the data profile of Kim Commando out there that there are instances of cancer, and then if I go for insurance, what what that means to my
1: rates. That is probably the most consequential um, use case or scenario that people are concerned with financially. Um, you know, some people may have other reasons to be concerned personally about other things. Um, I, I think there's a number of, of bad consequences of what's happened. Um, the one that the social dilemma really points to, though, that is, I think, in some ways more dangerous for society is that we each get caught in this self-reinforcing filter bubble where reality itself becomes kind of a casualty and the possibility of social cohesion becomes almost impossible because everybody's being fed a a self-reinforcing picture of the world. So that there's, there's two sides of it that my insurance rate could go up because I 'm being spied on, and that's my ability to even be functional in the world gets undermined
0: yeah, you know when you put it like that it, it, when you put it like that, it just it makes me sit back and say, you know if i how do I get out of this? How do we get people out of this so that they can see it
1: well. I think the first part of getting out of is, is seeing it, and that's happening. And now the next question is, um, what's the alternative? And that's what I've been thinking about and working on for 20 years. Um, and there is a completely different Internet possible um, that would restore reality and would restore real income flows for journalism. And. Um, and that would actually let people connect with companies safely to engage about products and services that they want. And it's, it's a massive sea change from where we are, but many players in society would be better served by it.
0: Give me an example of a big problem that, that your solution is going to solve.
1: I'll give you the biggest problem that nobody's ever heard of. Uh, There was an IBM Harvard study a few years ago that said that bad data quality, inaccurate data, costs 3.1 trillion dollars a year in the U.S. That's 12 times the value of digital advertising globally. Now they probably pushed that number pretty far to count a lot of things you can't fix but even if it was a tenth of that it would still be bigger than global digital advertising this is just the fact that the companies that do business with people can't keep track of the right address to send them a catalog and you know and so on and the way to fix that would be to actually create a situation where people share data with companies that aren't Google and Facebook under their own control. And in exchange for that, the companies promise to treat them with respect under enforceable game rules. And we've actually built and proven technology to do that. And to satisfy GDPR, major companies are going to need to do that.
0: You know, let's define. So, let's let's define. Let's stop for just a second there. Let's define what what GDPR is, and also what's going on in California, because I don't know if all of our listeners are familiar with that.
1: Yeah, I, I live too much inside a, a, my own bubble. <laughs> That's okay. Um, GDPR GDPR is a law that was passed in Europe a few years ago that gets it gives individual people data right to control their own data, including the right to erasure, the right to withdraw permission to use specific data. Um, There there are eight different very powerful rights that are now the law in Europe. There's a weaker law that was passed in California called CCPA, which basically lets people specify whether or not they want to be tracked and targeted by advertising and say no. Uh, The implementation of that's a little messier and, and less has less teeth than the GDPR in Europe.
0: And so for everybody who's listening, this is why when sometimes you go to a website, uh, most recently you may say, hi, we need you to accept all of the cookies because inside those cookies there may be some different rules, especially if you do live in the state of California, that you can opt out of some of this data collection,
1: Right. Well, yeah, the cookie law is actually left over from a previous law in Europe that didn't work very well and was kind of weak and not very well implemented. But basically, there's a couple kinds of cookies. There's the ones that the site needs to function or to remember your login so that you don't have to enter it again. There's some ones that are kind of innocuous for the site itself. And then there are these advertising tracking cookies that are kind of like cooties that follow you all over the Internet. Um, if you, you know, log into Facebook, it's going to set a cookie everywhere you go and log in with Facebook, and same with Google. Um, although Google doesn't even need to; it's it's the third party advertisers that are setting these cookies all over.
0: And what a lot of people don't realize is that when you are logged into Facebook and you remain logged in, is that they are then getting copies of everything that you do outside of Facebook, right?
1: Yes, so they're they're tracking you. On the like button is a little tracking beacon on websites, but also they're buying data on you to assemble a profile to sell to advertisers, even beyond what they can do by tracking you themselves. Um, and on the other side, Google is trying to get rid of cookies because they don't want competitors; they want to be the only one that can track you across the internet. So there's a lot of fairly disingenuous things going on, but it it comes down to largely these two dominant players that control most of this.
0: You know, when we come right back, we're going to talk more about cookies and your privacy. We're speaking with Jim Fournier. He's the CEO of a company called True Social. So stay right where you are. We need to say a special thank you to our partners in this podcast because they make it all possible. to kim commando explains we are in conversation talking about the social dilemma on netflix your privacy what's going on in facebook uh, google instagram snap tiktok and everybody else under the sun who's just trying to make a buck off of all of your data so jim we were just talking about privacy and cookies does it help if we erase all of our cookies or does it help if we put that no tracking cookie onto our system
1: um, I, I don't think that do not track is working very well. I turned on, but I don't have much face in it. Um, you know if you're concerned about this stuff, uh, you know using an ad blocker, um, using at this point Brave or Firefox, um, you know those things certainly help. Uh, not using Gmail helps a lot. Um,' there are things you can do, but it's it's a matter of degrees. You know, if you really don't want to be tracked, you can't use the internet. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, <laughs> there is that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that's funny. If you don't want to be tracked, just don't get online, which is so unrealistic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you talked about misinformation and that big number that's attached to it. Uh, what is the next problem that you see with the internet as it exists today?
1: Well, the, we're coming from the other side just in trying to create a good quality information network on the Internet. So true is establishing something the academics call data provenance. It's a, it's a term that came from art and wine where you can tell the chain of custody who had something before. So is this legitimate or not? Um, we call it the true line it's a, a digitally signed record of where something was first posted reposted, published, republished, and by whom and so we create a system that anchors that uh, within true in a platform but ultimately across sites on the internet
0: okay so so you go to the original source and you authenticate that 's where it is
1: we're Starting this more from what's been called the blogosphere, more than half the sites on the Internet are blogs. That's where mostly things are published. It's everything from writers to little small businesses and nonprofits and just, you know, an awful lot of the websites on the Internet are blogs. And so there's content that's being published that way and we're creating a way that when that content gets introduced onto true it starts having a record on true and as it moves between sites that have representations on true and and that creates a chain of who introduced something and who republished it and then we're working towards a model where you can actually earn sponsorship revenue when your content gets republished on a sponsored site. And this creates a food source, an alternative to the way ad tech works now. Because if we don't create a way to actually both validate content and earn income from it, um, you know, we can't create any real viable alternative to what's going on now.
0: So anytime you introduce anything into the public platform on the internet, the trolls, the fake news, everything else comes out, right? I mean, let's just face it. Uh, I mean, I have... Never seen such anger in my entire life as I do when I post something that what I think is pretty benign. Like, for example, when Rush Limbaugh passed away, I went on to my Twitter feed and Facebook feed because, you know, this is the industry that I'm in. I'm on 473 radio stations. This is a big deal. And I really believe and I actually sent Rush Limbaugh a letter a couple of years ago thanking him, because without him, I don't know if I'd be sitting here right now. So when he passed away, <laughs> okay, I went on Twitter and I said, you may or may not have agreed with his politics, but there's no doubt that Rush Limbaugh was a pioneer and he reinvented the radio industry. And for that, I'm I'm internally grateful. That's all I said. Because I am not a political show. I don't go into politics. Oh, my gosh, I had people like leaving me messages like, oh, I hope that you have a long, painful death like him, Kim Commando. Like, you know what? Really? So how do you prevent that type of, I say you use the word stuff, from occurring?
1: So there's a couple of principles, and I don't want to get too far in the weed, but this is what I've sort of distilled from 20 years at this There's something called digital identity. You know, I I have some digital representation of myself. I build reputation based on my behavior and what I do and what I post. I need to be able to do this with privacy, to do that other GDPR side of things, so I'm not tracked against my will. And then there's this provenance. Where did things come from? And finally, with all that, we can do validation and verification of things. The problem with, say, Twitter is that you're in a space where there's really no good identity or reputation. As, I'll, I'll pause there. That's a lot to throw at you. But um, you have to sort of build up these pieces to explain how to solve a problem. Sure. So if you start to have a system where I have persistent identity, even if I don't have to have real identity, I, I show up with a handle and I build reputation – And then I can show up in real social spaces. So in True, we create real spaces. We call them hubs where people can meet and interact and control who's in there. And then hubs can subscribe to hubs for content. So now you start to have a a situation where people who behave badly simply get disinvited from hubs. (laughs) You know, if I flunked kindergarten, I'm not allowed in. So maybe (laughs) I go to traffic school, I go to troll school and learn how to behave better before I can get in again. Because right now what we have on the Internet is a situation that, rewards and reinforces bad behavior by being anonymous. And it leverages our social instincts as human, as humans, but takes us out of the social milieu that we're adapted to be in that, that keeps us well behaved. You know, we have hundreds, of thousands and millions of years of adaptation socially. What we call social online is not social. It's this artificial construct that leverages some of our social behaviors.
0: It's the anonymity that I think allows people to suddenly get behind a monitor and they start yep. thinking that that, yep. that they are you know this big hulk <laughs> and they can come across when you know they may be sitting in their mom's basement. Uh, but well,
1: so there's a, there's a principle that came out of the digital identity community, and it's, it's kind of geeky, but it's called persistent pseudonymity. And and what this means is if I have a handle like my friend Identity Woman, you know, I'm, I'm known by that handle. I have a reputation based on it. It's not whether or not I use my real name. Some of the platforms are trying to force everybody to use their real identity. But the youth know very well that's not how you maintain privacy. You you balance privacy and anonymity by having persistent pseudonymity and having a reputation that matters. And if you don't have much reputation, you may not be allowed in. Or if you have bad reputation, you may be, get kicked out.
0: You know, you brought up a really interesting point because you said the youth. Um, I was in conversation with my son, and he maintains a certain level of privacy that I don't see his friends have. And I don't know whether it's because he was raised you know with me talking about it his entire life, but but do you see do you see the new generation I'm talking like the 18 to, to 20 24 year olds do you see that generation approaching the internet differently with in terms of privacy?
1: I, I think it's a mixed bag. I certainly can't claim to speak for youth. I'm certainly not at this point. But um, for example, I I have a friend that's been working with, um, you know, tween girls talking about sexual abuse, and they do it on different accounts on Instagram, not under their real name. And kids know how to spawn multiple accounts under different email addresses and keep track of them, you know, very easily. That's your only way, really, of managing privacy on the Internet right now. And I, I think it's a misnomer to say kids don't understand or, or care about privacy. They may understand it much better than we understand.
0: Yeah, I've always said that, you know, whoever runs for president 20 years from now, <laughs> we're going to be looking at their social media feeds going, OK, what was really that about? OK, <laughs> <laughs>
1: we we may at some point have to declare social media amnesty for everybody or something. <laughs> I, I don't know.
0: I, well, I, you know what, Jim, I've always said, I'm so glad that when I was growing up that they did not have Facebook, Instagram, Snap, TikTok, anything like that. There, there was a certain um, pleasure now looking back going out all night, you know, and those were the days when you could get home at four in the morning and then go to work at eight. Right. <laughs> okay.
1: So yeah, no, I, I, you know, I, I grew up—my my first computer was a, you know, PC that I had to put a hard drive in, and then I had to learn to bump start it with an eraser because the disk would stop. Um, but, you know, we live in a different world now. But one of the things also to keep in mind, I, I'm just old enough to have seen the Internet completely change a couple of times. And as much as things seem unassailable and like they've always been this way and could never be different— the, the good thing about the Internet is it's highly mutable. People can vote with their feet very quickly if an alternative becomes available.
0: But see, that's, that's, that's a really great topic. And this is a, a perfect topic spot for us to stop and say a few thank yous to our podcast partners and hear from them. Because when we come back, we're going to talk about alternatives. Can there really be an option aside from Google, from Facebook, from Amazon? Uh, I mean, the list goes on, but these are big companies. So stay right where you are. Hey, welcome back to Kim Commando Explains. We're speaking with Jim Fournier, the CEO of True Social. And we're talking about, we're talking about so many different things. Privacy, social media, what's going on with the internet. So you have big plans with True Social. Do you think you could be the new Facebook? Do you want to be the new Facebook?
1: Um, I don't think there should ever be another Facebook. Um, I I think there is a, an element of sort of monopoly enclosure in the way the internet's gone in the last couple decades—that's not been healthy. But I, I am aiming to do something that will create conditions for the internet to be different in a way that I think most players would benefit from. Okay,
0: that's a big ask, right?
1: It is. And so, where do you start? Uh, we. Start- start by creating an alternative publishing network, and we create a system where people can publish from their blogs into this network, and people can get on the network and create real social groups where they can interact privately in ways that feel actually social, and then groups can subscribe to groups to republish content. And then that content can earn sponsorship dollars all the way back down that chain.
0: Just by chance, do you have, um, I can't but think of his name. Is it Jason Lanier or Jared
1: Lanier? Um, Jaron Lanier. Jaren, um, yeah. I, I can't quite call him a friend, but I've known him all the way back to the um, VR days.
0: Because I'll tell you, he's fascinating. I've had him on the show a few times, and his whole premise is that he wants to create an internet where a family of four can probably earn twenty five, thirty thousand dollars 30000 a year off of their data.
1: Well, yeah, I know, Jaron. He's one of my favorite thinkers. Um, there's been a lot of talk about people monetizing their own data, um, I don't I think I have time to get into it, but I think that uh, – I don't think that's quite the model that's likely to work. Um, I think it's more likely that we could create an alternative to online advertising as it is now, which actually studies are showing doesn't even work any better than random. Which I, I believe. Where, well, it may work worse than random because it, it annoys people now. But um, – Basically, our premise is that we can create real sponsorship, where because there's real groups of people gathered around topics or places or area of interest and activity, like good old-fashioned advertising used to work, a sponsor would support that area of interest. They would say something to that population that was meaningful and welcome to them and pay for the privilege. And then if we use network effect to move this ad dollar or the sponsorship dollar back out the chain of where content came from. Now you're paying people for good quality content that's worth republishing and and you make a network that's functional.
0: So selfishly, let's say that I put up a piece of content. You know, five ways to maximize your smartphone's battery life or how to find out what Google knows about you or uh, just pick any other topic that we have on our website. So I go out there and I put that on, on your True Social Network. How would that work?
1: Well, say so you just you publish it from your blog and you went on True and you created a hub and you subscribe to your own blog's RSS feed. Now your post is on True. Now, some other hub that is aggregating, you know, best of content, you know, editors, sees your posts and republishes it, and it gets republished to another larger network. And that network has a sponsor, and that sponsor pays that entity some sponsorship dollars, and then some of those dollars flow back to the entity that republished it and back to you. And because you have a true account um, and you Put your content onto it. Um, you got paid something by a sponsor for that content. So, is it paid on a CPM basis? No. Um, it's it's paid on a, a per unit of content basis, and it's it's completely a different paradigm than the the um, existing you know views based, click based you know advertising mess. Is there
0: a, a round number that you could give someone that they would say, Oh yeah, it's worth my while. Cause I can make X dollars per month.
1: Well, I, th- what's happened with, with AdWords now is that so little of the money spent by advertisers is actually making it to the platforms where the ads appear that it may not be hard to beat that. Um, It's basically going to come down to, you know, within a given network, how much sponsorship dollars is, you know, some company or business or foundation willing to pay to that network for getting in front of that audience. And then we have a model where that gets divided among the parties that created and and chose the content that arrives at the big sponsored network. And it's a question of we're going to divide that revenue up so that we end up with 10 to 20 percent of it and the rest of it goes on the network. And we think by doing it that way, there's a lot more food there than is being provided by AdTech right now.
0: Which is fascinating. And I think that it – I think it has true potential, no pun intended, uh, to actually take off. But I really think a lot of people would be really interested in the, the idea of, you mentioned, like the hubs and being able to have an authenticated, verified basis of people around you instead of like friends of friends of friends who you may not necessarily know,
1: right? Absolutely. and And this is the... You know the friends of friends thing i I put money in that patent twenty years ago and ended up with founder shares in LinkedIn, but we don 't use it in true it it's led to a lot of bad consequences. Um, what we do is we create a vehicle for people to create hubs either completely privately for your friends and family just to use them or to publish from. If you're going to publish, you have to use your mobile phone to round-trip an SMS message that sort of anchors some level of unique identity. You can't, you know, it's hard to create lots of identities that way. Um, and then as a service, we provide a way of institutions, legal entities, buying a blue check mark, a true blue check mark that proves who they are. And eventually we'll offer that for individuals. And we're aiming to do that for like, you know, 10 bucks a year for a company and 5 bucks a year for a person. But even if you don't do that, even if you just anchor your activity in, this, in the true line with real people you know and real hubs with real people you know, it creates an authentication network that is completely different than is what is happening on any of the other social.
0: You know, it truly is, Jim. It really is. I mean, this is fundamentally different than anything that exists right now.
1: It is. And, you know, we we've spent six years building fundamentally new technology from the ground up based on an insight that came from working on the problem for 10 years before that. Um, You know, we have been thinking about how to do the Internet differently for 20 years and building a solution for six. How are
0: people accepting it?
1: Uh, the people that I um, talk to are uh, – people that just see the little video at, at True.net, it's sort of like, oh, my God, I need that. And some of the big networks we've talked to, including somebody, a friend that represents independent publishers in this country with you know 200 million aggregate real users, real viewers, um, are very excited about a different model. Um, and – Pretty much everybody we've talked to is pretty excited about a different model.
0: I, I will tell you that not a show goes by where I have somebody call me and say, "I'm tired of Facebook, I'm tired of the manipulation. I'm tired of uh, big tech knowing everything that I do. I'm tired of the trolls." And uh, you know, I'd like to put. I'm just thinking. I, it was probably just last week. I had a woman call up, and she had a uh, she has rather she has a, a private Facebook group with her family and then somebody let somebody in and now the the bad part of the family is now <laughs> into the group <laughs> and, and and she yeah. you know she's like well how do i kick them out and i'm like you know this is like you know when you have the thanksgiving dinner and you didn't really invite that family member but they showed up anyway right and
1: so you're oh, gonna well there. There's a couple things going on there. I mean, part of that is actual social protocol and etiquette that's hard. But there's lots of things going on with Facebook that make it kind of a mess.
0: Well, yeah, yes, of course. Um, so, do you charge anybody to sign up? Is there, because I mentioned you You said the $10 uh, authentication, the blue check mark for the business, $5 no, for know, a person. I mean, I mean that's nothing. I mean it doesn't I mean that's
1: well, not no, we we don't so true is truly free for individuals without surveillance or tracking or any of the nonsense. It's free to create an account. It's also free to create a, a limited number of hubs. We're still in beta, but we're probably going to give people, you know, 5 hubs just to prevent squatting on domains. Um when a business wants to turn on this GDPR data sharing thing where a new customer wants to connect to them from True and enter into a data sharing agreement, um, it's five bucks a month for a nonprofit and ten bucks a month for a small business. But they only do that at the point they're getting a new customer on the platform. Until then, it's free. Then we charge for sponsorship to run the network, and if we find you a sponsor, we charge you another 10%, so it's 20% if we find you a sponsor on the automated thing. And we also have a model where we will do subscription, where you can get behind a paywall with some of your posts, and then they go into a pool, and people that choose to read them are paying like 5 bucks a month to read everything, and depending who they subscribe to, those authors, publishers get some of the revenue.
0: It's, you know, that's a great model, obviously, um, because you're incentivizing, giving people the, the, the stimulus to go in and create quality content that people will want to read. And I think a lot of folks are now realizing that anytime something's free on the Internet, that they are the product because somebody has to pay exactly. for it.
1: Exactly. That's the, that's been the model for a while. Yeah. We're, we're turning that on its head. We're, we're creating, you know, chains of authentication and custody. And then we're using those same chains to reward people and they're auditable. So if
0: somebody wants to sign up, just go to true.net.
1: Uh, True.net, right now, there is a button to request beta. Um, We're still in pretty early beta. Um, We're still a tiny company trying to get... We we solved the hard problems first. Now we're adding things like notifications last. (laughs) We're so antisocial. That's so funny. And we give you complete control of your notifications. They're for you, not for us.
0: And so when do you think you're really going to roll this out?
1: Um. I think it's going to be rolling out starting this summer and really in earnest this fall. Um, some of the sponsorship that I talked about won't be ready until this fall. It, it's going to be in, in beta without a business model, but you know, describing how it's coming um, in beta. Do
0: you have any competition?
1: Um, not really in, in what we're doing. Um, there are some things in the blockchain space. We're not a blockchain. We don't require tokens, but we do use They're called cryptographic keys. It's where the word crypto came from, but I don't use that term because it confuses people. We we digitally sign things.
0: Because when you were talking about, um, when you were actually talking about authenticating, that's where my head went. Because I was thinking, okay, well, how do we authenticate it? Is there something like a blockchain happening a la NFT? Although we're not really talking about NFTs.
1: Well... Much of what has happened in the crypto space has, you know, powered a speculative casino, in my opinion. Um, I think there are a lot of good people with good intentions, but the hard part about verification and validation isn't where you anchor an audit trail. It's how you keep track of identity and data transactions in a way that's transparent and auditable. And it's that Change of information between parties. Um, it's a little digression.
0: Well, it's you know it's fascinating because crypto is getting to the front of people. I mean, I was surprised yesterday when I even read that now I can pay on PayPal using Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever version that they're. I think they have four different flavors of some type of cryptocurrency now that you buy from them. And then you can use that to pay for whatever you want to buy on eBay or what have you um, so crypto is' it's, it's you know I, I think a lot of people are confused about what exactly it is in the blockchain and and you're right it does kind of get more into the weeds but thank you so much for spending some time with us um jim it's It's really fascinating i I really hope that this is utterly incredibly successful. I know for one that I'm going to sign up for the beta and I hope that you like will check a box that says I'm okay <laughs> to get in. Um, and again, folks, the site is uh, true.net. That's T R U dot net. Uh, Jim, once again, thank you so much for sharing your time, expertise, knowledge, and your philosophies. Cause we need more people like you that are going to bring some truth to the internet.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed this.
0: It's a great idea, isn't it? True.net. So what do you think? Do you think it's really going to take off? Does it have the possibility? Now, it's in beta. If you're not sure what beta means, it just means like it's just getting started. It's just being tested. In the summer and fall, you're going to start hearing more about this. But because you listen to Kim Commando Explains, you're on the forefront of technology. And to be on that forefront, knowledge is power. Now, this is Kim Commando Explains. It's a podcast, right? I mean, you love it, and I get that. But don't forget about my national radio show, three hours every week on 420 top radio stations from coast to coast. But I know you love podcasts, so you can get the official Kim Commando radio show as a podcast too and I know what you're sitting there going "Wow, well, Kim how can I do that I knew you were going to ask that question just head over to getkim.com see how clever that is getkim.com and then you get the 3 hour podcast commercial free it's going to cost you a few bucks a month because hey we don't collect and sell your data so somebody's got to pay the bills and after your 30 day free trial it's just a few bucks a month again that's getkim.com I'm Kim Commando and thanks for listening